Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. Blockchain has been a buzzword in the pharmaceutical industry for a while now, at industry conferences and in the press. Other industries like retail have already implemented early forms of this technology within the larger scope of their processes, but when it comes to our industry, there's still an air of skepticism. We wanted to bring a blockchain expert onto the podcast to understand retail's current use cases, but also pressure test the concerns and implications for blockchain within the pharmaceutical industry as a whole. We are lucky to have Tarun Sharma as our guest today. Tarun is the Senior Partner Solutions Architect at Amazon Web Services. Prior to joining AWS, Tarun worked with IBM Blockchain Garage, where he consulted and delivered multiple blockchain projects in a variety of industries, including healthcare, finance, education, and telecommunications. Hello, Tarun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Trial Trends. Thank you for having me today, Kathleen. So we've heard a lot about blockchain as an emerging technology within all kinds of different industries, but not so much for life sciences. As a starting point, can you give us just a rundown of what does blockchain really mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when people talk about blockchain, the first thing that comes into their mind is is Bitcoin or, you know, Ethereum or in general, the crypto, cryptocurrencies, right? We we have to understand that blockchain or, you know, as, as it's sometimes called distributed ledger technology or DLT is far and beyond just a cryptocurrency. Now, in general, uh, blockchain are primarily divided into two main categories, one being public, blockchain and one being private blockchain. Now, there are other subcategories as well, which is like permissionless, permissioned and all that. But if you just have to wrap your head around, you know, the high level, what blockchain is, then public and private are the most commonly used flavors of blockchain that are being used out there. Now, examples of public blockchains are like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and where you can go out there, download the software and start participating in the transaction by yourself. Being anonymous is one of them as well. You don't need to identify yourself to, to participate in those transactions. Whereas in the private blockchain space, we have players like Hyperledger Fabric, R3 Coda, and we have Quorum, Dellert by JP Morgan Chase, you know, which where consortiums or business networks are formed by the group of organizations working together and as a network dictates the rules of engagement. So it is more like a permission sort of blockchain where organizations collaborate with each other, share data, and run you know, the business logic via what we call the smart contracts. Smart contracts are not the legal binding contracts. People tend to perceive them as such, but they are more like business rules built on top of blockchain to enable the read, write, access controls of the data from that blockchain ledger. So the ledger really allows a lot of different types of companies to come together in one location to share information. Is that a layman's way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like the layer which can serve as the layer where different organizations can put their data on and and it's secure and it's decentralized and tempered to which provide with with them being temper-proof and there's no sort of mingling with the data by any central authority, if you will, in this use case. I know blockchain is currently being used mainly in the retail space. Do you have any specific examples of companies that are utilizing this technology today? Yeah, absolutely. Retail has seen great gains from this technology. Walmart, one of the most famous retailers out there, uses 
blockchain to track and trace their fresh produce. Alibaba, another great retailer, very famous, you know, is using blockchain technology for traceability for cross-border supply chain and to validate the authenticity of imported goods. Companies like IKEA, Home Depot, Target, we all know them, right? Household brands are all working on blockchain-based supply chain solutions. So, you know, retail has embraced this technology far more than I would say any other industry as of now. Taking some of those examples of retail, how can we see some benefit for the pharmaceutical industry or for life sciences as a whole? Before I do that, I just want to explain quickly, like blockchain consists of like three or four main pillars, what we call as a pillar of the blockchain technology as such. And they all tie back to the use case and the goodness that comes out of those pillars. So primarily being uh, the blockchain being immutable, which means that when something is written on the on the blockchain, you cannot delete it. It's append only, which means that only things can be appended uh, on what has already been written on that uh, on the ledger. Uh, the provenance piece comes out of that being immutable because now because nothing can be deleted, you can actually trace things back to its origin, right? So an example being the drug, you know, moving from hand to hand, from manufacturer to the supplier to the shipper to the retailer to the consumer changing hands at different point of time. But if you have to trace it back in a chronological order, you can actually do it using blockchain because all these transactions are written and associated by the same entity, which is the drug in this case. Consensus is another pillar, which means that anything in the blockchain, whether it's smart contracts or any changes, how the the data would be read and write would only happen by the means of consensus, which means majority of the players in the network has to agree to those changes in order for those changes to happen, taking away the power of centralization from a single entity and also taking away the point of failure as well, right? So if you, if you want to centralize everything. And then finally is the finality of it. So the transaction in blockchain doesn't you know, go in limbo. They either happen or not, which means that it's yes and no kind of situation. And if it happens, then it's there. And you are rest assured that you can access that data if you have the right set of access controls. Now, coming back to our example of pharma, you know, pharma supply chain where transaction can go through checks and balances through the smart contracts and can be traced back into the chronological manner from the origin to the to the end point. That tracking can be easily done using the blockchain data set once it is written and as a source of truth as well, because, you know, nobody can tamper with it. It's decentralized. There's no central point of authority. The access control mechanisms are there. The players are sharing data uh, almost real time. So you have real time access to that data as well at any point of time in that supply chain provisioning. So, you know, companies like shipping companies, manufacturers, pharmacies, all can participate in that kind of business network built on top of blockchain to make use of this use case. Thank you for that. We've heard some of the benefits that might make it worthwhile to implement, but retail does make a lot of sense that that would be a very easy use case. But what we've seen for our industry is that it is still very futuristic. Many of the conversations that I've had with my colleagues usually come with a sense of skepticism on this technology or the way to implement it within our really highly regulated industry. We all work with so many different systems and partners throughout the clinical process that blockchain seems daunting to say the least. In a future state of blockchain technology, would this give some flexibility of swapping out with different vendors if they were all connected to the same private blockchain system? Yeah, absolutely. And that and that is where, you know, blockchain has a lot of uh, scope of being that interoperable layer as well, right? So we always 
struggle with integration of different kinds of systems. You know, one vendor using a certain kind of system, the other vendors using, you know, different other kind of system for their, whether it's an ERP system, whether it's an invoicing system, whether it's a supply chain system. And this complicates the entire tracing and tracking in, in current world. So if you have that capability to interact with that one single system, which can operate across the supply chain, which is truthful, which cannot be tampered, which is immutable. So it gives you all these, elevates the trust into the entire integration as well, while still gaining real-time insights from all across the supply chain, for sure. And that raises a question for me is about the data security. You mentioned this of how this is actually more secure because you're not centralizing. There's not that one single point of failure. And I think that might be one of the reasons why we haven't adopted that yet in life sciences is that security of it. And everything is controlled by strict regulations of making sure that the right people have access at the right time. It's all tracked in a lot of different systems and platforms right now. And pulling it all together into a distributed network sounds a little off-putting. It sounds a little scary. So have you seen this as a major challenge within the pharmaceutical industry? Absolutely. So, so pharmaceutical is, is uh, a little bit different than other industries. It's very highly regulated. It's highly compliant. The data, you know, residency requirements are much trickier than the other industries. So definitely all these things come into play when we talk about healthcare. And this is where I feel that private blockchains play a very crucial part because of the circle of their entities and circle of their connections are somewhat constrained than public blockchains where you put the data out there and, and, and it's in the eyes of the public, they can view it, they can see it. Private blockchains constrain that access control mechanism, if you will, in this uh, particular setting and make sure that right set of people have access to the right set of data. Being that our industry is extremely regulated, standards become crucial to the development and overall execution of a clinical trial from start to finish. How have retail companies implemented specific standards across their processes when it comes to blockchain technology? Many networks, like I talked about the network that is run by Walmart, Food Trust Network, they have those standards inbuilt into the blockchain systems as well to make sure that, like you said, you know, like if some new entity is coming on board, how do they make sure that they follow the standard? Because most of the times, what you also want to do with the blockchain is to integrate with your existing applications to make sure those applications are also pushing and pulling the data out of the blockchain and they might adhere to the certain standards of that industry. So you want to make sure that the blockchain also have that layer of interaction and communication going. And in healthcare, we can take it as like FHIR standard, FHIR, which is an interoperable standard across healthcare industry to exchange data. So we want to make sure that when we design those blockchain applications, when we design that smart contracts, we are able to decipher or we are able to read and write in those standards as well. So one of the things that's always difficult is developing standards because every company is a little different. There's a lot of information they might not want to share. They might not have that kind of cooperative spirit between them to want to try to pull together and agree on what standards are. How do you see that actually happening within our industry? You know, How do you get past that barrier if people are like, well, what I have is pretty good. I know that what I have in-house is mine, so I might as well own it because it's my data. What is the real incentive to work with some of my competitors to figure out a standard. It's just going to help them too. So again, driving parallel from retail, you know, the food trust network that I'm talking about, Walmart is not the only player in that network. There's Nestle, there's Unilever, and there is Kruger's. They all compete with each other. 
they are the competitors to each other, but they realized that they can mutually benefit by operating on this technology, whether it's the supplier, the pool of the suppliers that interact with all these companies, whether it's upstream, downstream suppliers, whether it's consumers who want to trace where their produce is coming from. So instead of developing and investing that in the technology in siloed manner, they basically realize that the technology already exists. And, uh, you know, we just make, want to make sure that we onboard on it. We want to make sure that we have the right control mechanisms to make sure that the confidentiality of the data is maintained. And we also want to make sure that we get the best leverage out of it. So it's a balancing act that they are playing and they are playing it pretty well. That makes a lot of sense. So one of the other things that I'm interested in learning more about is the data ownership. All the stakeholders in our industry, especially sponsors, are really protective about their data. And after all, it makes sense because if the data can't be trusted, the regulatory agencies won't give their approval. Moving to a blockchain environment seems like a real fundamental shift in thinking about data ownership, you know, distributed versus centralized. We've talked about some of the benefits, but how would you address concerns about who owns the data and who's responsible for making sure that it's accurate? That's another great question. I think that question comes up way often than not. So short answer, nobody owns the entire data, right? And the long answer is that if you are the sponsor of the project, you may trigger that project as the proof of concept of minimum viable product and to make sure that the technology works. But as more people start joining in, the governance model evolves in my experience so far. So when more and more organizations join in the network, they want to make sure that they have the seat on the table as well, and they have a say in how this business network is going to operate. So data ownership has multiple layers, if you will, in blockchain, where there is a data set which you want to collaborate on and sync with other participants. Then there could be data where you want to have one-on-one exchange between one or multiple participants in the same network. And there could be a data where you don't want to expose at all. It could be your proprietary data or something like trade secrets or whatever that you have you know, invested on and you don't want the outside world to know about it. The good thing about, you know, we talked about private permission blockchain in the past. The good thing about them is that they, they can enable all the three use cases around data governance. The good thing about the governance part of blockchain is that governance is not handled by a single entity. Like I said, you know, it's a team um, activity, it's a team sport. So, you know, the governance is handled as a whole, uh, which also leads to the consensus part of it, where everybody has to agree what kind of data to be shared on a common platform. Everybody has to agree what kind of user access controls we'll have on that data as well. But if it's a private network that, say, a pharmaceutical company has initiated, wouldn't they be the ones who would want to define the governance and say, these are the rules, everybody. I need you to follow these rules. This is how we're going to govern this data. Does that work with no, that's, blockchain? That's a great question. So it's not, to answer your question in short, it's not the sponsor of the project that handles the data. It might start with that as a POC, as a, as a proof of concept when you're playing around with it. But eventually when your business network grows, all the people who are coming on board, the participants in the business network and who are holding the smart contracts actually govern the governance of the network itself. Okay. I suppose I want to dig in a little bit more about the changes of what if, you know, how can I trust that a certain vendor is following the rules properly and making the right corrections to my data? You know, because I think a sponsor is used to being able to control all that much more tightly. And if it's a shared contract, you know, how do they make sure that it's being done properly? 
That's another great question. And, and I'd like to dig a bit, one level deeper into that smart contract conversation we just had. Smart contracts are nothing more than checks and balances. It's a code that is written to make sure that the data that is going into the blockchain goes through those checks and balances. To your question about how do we check whether their data has an error or how do we check whether the data is properly structured? How do we check whether data is not missing any pieces that are required to be written on the blockchain? The smart contracts are specifically that piece of code that takes that data as an input and do the checks and balances. And then if the checks and balances go through, then only that data is written in the blockchain. So the truthfulness of the data is actually being validated by the smart contract itself before being written on the blockchain. So how do we get there? You know, at this point, it is something that does seem really scary. And you said we could raise awareness, but is it having someone who's willing to pioneer and talk about that story more and talk about that use case? Is that really what we're lacking? Is that do we not have that one pilot to follow to see how it works out? Yeah, I think the crux of this is the decentralized mindset. The pharma industry as a whole have to get out of that centralization mindset and keeping the data uh, you know, close to their chest. They just and have to ensure that even though without compromising on the compliances and regulations, they still can make use of the blockchain as a technology, right? They still can be a part of the consortium and have a very strict control over what they need to share and who they need to share it with. The main mute point here is that it's a team thing. So you own, if you own the data and you want to keep the ownership and you only want to expose the data to the outer world, but still want to retain how that data is operated, modified, updated, read, then blockchain is not the use case or right technology for you. Where the blockchain is the right technology when you want to share the data with the wider network participants and also want to gather the data that is being shared by those participants as well. That's where the blockchain really shines. And to get out of the mindset of centralization, we have to think of collective responsibility towards the data. We have to think about collective ownership uh, of the data. And we have to think about the advantages of gaining more insights if we are able to share data throughout the network. Supply chain is a great example. We keep going back to that. Uh, if you just share one-to-one data exchange between your one-level downstream, one-level upstream, you know, distributor partners, wholesaler, whatever, then you are only viewing that particular, you only have visibility up to that level. But if the data is being shared by the entire network, the visibility goes beyond just one level, two level, downstream or upstream. The visibility can go up to the manufacturer of the material or even beyond that, where that material was extracted. Thank you, Tarun, for providing your insight on this topic. It's exciting to see the continuing advancements of blockchain technology and the future opportunities that it could provide to a variety of industries. It'll be interesting to keep a close eye on this within the pharmaceutical landscape. With so many regulations, standard requirements, data privacy concerns, the question still remains if pharma will embrace this technology in the near future. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker.